Let's turn for scripture reading to Colossians chapter 1. Read the first 18 verses. This sermon that I am preaching tonight is part of a series on the book of Colossians. And one of the challenges in preaching a sermon that's part of a series in another congregation is to know how much to introduce uh, regarding that series. I guess you kind of miss out not hearing the sermons prior to this, coming to this text. But in verse 18, when we come to that, we have the statement really of the theme of the book of Colossians, and that is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And the pastor of the Colossian congregation, I believe it's verse 7, is mentioned. His name is Epaphras. And he is not, when Paul sends this letter, he's not in Colossus serving as the pastor. Paul was in prison and he had gone to visit Paul in prison, probably to comfort Paul. And maybe also to tell Paul about a few things going on in the congregation, to ask for some help, some advice on how to deal with things. And in chapter 2, Paul speaks of some false doctrine that the Colossians were facing, so that may be part of the reason why he's writing the epistle. And the theme, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, His majesty, His greatness uh, is probably due to the fact that the false teachers were teaching that Christ is alright as far as He goes, but there's more to experience, more ways to find spiritual highs and joys apart from Christ. And I'll try to tie that in, I think, with what you heard this morning, Lord's Day 11, Jesus is the only Savior and the complete Savior meaning that all of our salvation, all of the joy, all of the experience of salvation is found in Christ. And and the Apostle will go on in chapter 2 to emphasize that from a negative point of view. Now don't take away from Christ by looking to anything beyond Him or besides Him. But in chapter 1, it's all positive. He's showing us how wonderful our salvation is in Christ, kind of with this kind of an idea that Why would you look anywhere? You have the fullness in Christ. Don't look anywhere besides Christ for your salvation and the joy of your salvation. So let's read the first 18 verses of Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, 
and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who hath declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause, we also since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Thus far we read the word of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, I'm going to read verse 12, and in connection with the argument that I made earlier that Christ is so great and what we have in him, we wouldn't want anything else. Verse 12 is telling us, in Christ we are meet or we are qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That Notice, notice that starts with the prayer, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The hope of glory and of heaven is in Christ, and not anywhere else. Begin by asking you if you have ever, and I know most of you have had this experience, have you ever been officially notified that you qualify. It can be quite an exciting moment to be told you have passed the test and now you are qualified officially for something. Now to include the teenagers and the young people, this might be something like when you go to the Secretary of State, you've fulfilled all the driving hours required during the time you had your driver's permit. You've taken the test, and you are told that you've passed, and now you meet all the requirements. You are qualified to drive by yourself, 
on the roads of the state of Michigan. I remember when I was 16 years old and couldn't wait on my birthday to get my driver's license. That was an exciting thing. Or maybe there's something that also might seem somewhat trivial, but is exciting. After you've taken the pre-college exams, the entrance exams, ACT or SAT, after you've shown Hope College or Calvin University or Dort University that all your transcripts, to receive notification, we've looked it all over, and you qualify. We're going to accept you as a student in our university. That can be a very exciting moment. Or maybe you have put in years of graduate study and taken a huge exam, the CPA exam, or the bar exam, or whatever exam there is to be a certified nurse or a doctor, and notification comes. You're qualified. You now are recognized as a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, a certified public accountant. All the work has gone in, and that's an exciting announcement. I speak of all of those things to try to convey something of, and the reality is, all of those things should fall short of our excitement when we hear what the passage tells us. You are notified by God. The Colossian Christians were notified by God. You are qualified for the inheritance of the glory and the light of heaven. This is an exciting notice that we receive from God to which nothing should compare. And I meant to say that at the beginning, that I hope that we will have a sense of that excitement that we feel when we're notified of all of these other things. And too often, I'm afraid, maybe we don't have the excitement about this, that we should. Just think about that for a moment. Is there anything more valuable or desirable than this? As much as you might want to have a driver's license or to have some important position in the workplace or in the world, isn't it much more valuable and desirable to be told by God, you qualify for heaven? Exciting this is also because this isn't simply hard. Becoming a certified accountant might be hard. Becoming a medical doctor might be hard. But from our point of view, to qualify for heaven is impossible. And yet here comes God through the Apostle Paul and through this passage of Scripture saying, good news, this is good news, the Gospel, you, even as you live still in this world of sin, even as you deal with your own sinful nature yet as, yes, a Christian and a believer, but you knowing that you 
fall far short of the requirements that God lays before you in his holy law, you, you qualify for glory. Not only in the future, this is true, you will qualify for heaven. But now, God's word to you now is that you are qualified with all the saints for the inheritance in light. Let's consider then tonight qualified to be in glory. That's the theme for the sermon. Noticing three things. What, we're, what this means. Secondly, by whom we are qualified. And then thirdly, for what we are qualified. In the King James, we have that language of made meet. We give thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. That's not a bad translation, but in the title for the sermon, I'm using another translation that you find in other versions of the Bible that I think helps convey to us the idea here that you're rendered fit for something. You have all that is necessary to be suitable for something. You're qualified. I'm not, right now, fit for something like towing a trailer. Somebody came to me and said, I have a a camper that I want you to tow. I would say, well, you need to help me become ready to do that, rendered fit to do that. Give me a three-quarter ton pickup, and now I will have what I need to be qualified to tow this trailer. Or to pick up on one of the examples that I used earlier in the introduction, I am not now qualified to be a surgeon, but the language of the text refers to someone who has received all the education necessary, not only, received all the certification necessary, but also has all the tools necessary. The hospital room with all of the utensils and all of the assistance. And now this person has everything that renders them fit, ready to perform the surgery successfully. And so here is God saying to Christians living on this earth, who still deal with the reality of sin, you have everything you need to render you fit, to make you suitable for life in heaven, the glory of heaven. We'll come to that in the third point tonight, but that's what the apostle is getting at. You are meet, you are qualified for the glory of heaven. Now, that's astounding and makes us ask the question, what does this mean? What is involved in God making me, God making you fit for the glory of heaven? And the answer to that question is, I believe, the image of God. Now, how do I come to that answer? 
that you have the image of God is what qualifies you for glory. Well, we think first of all about Adam and Eve living where? Not in heaven, but in paradise, which was a picture of heaven. And they had the reality of what we look for in heaven, didn't they? Adam and Eve lived in the garden as what? As the friends of God. That's heaven. To be able to live with God as his friend. And now with Jesus Christ, of course, in heaven. That's what we look forward to. And Adam and Eve, by virtue of their creation in the image of God, were qualified to live in paradise as God's friends. And then what happened? Adam and Eve fell into sin. They were disqualified, no longer meet, suitable for living in friendship and fellowship with God. I think then that we can conclude that when the Apostle Paul comes to you and me and says, now you are qualified to live in heaven, he has to mean that though you in Adam and Eve lost the image of God, now that's been restored to you in such a way that you have what you need to be able to live in fellowship and friendship with him again. I find evidence for this, that it's the image of God that qualifies us to be ready to live with God in heaven in chapter 3. The Apostle Paul in that chapter is giving practical advice to the members of the church at Colossae, you and me as well, and he's saying, now, this is what you need to know about yourself. You are a new creature, and you are to have a new life, and you are to put off old things and put on new things. And right away in verse 1 of chapter 3, he's saying, this is the reality. You're not a dead sinner anymore. You are risen with Christ. He has given you new life, and that life that you have is a heavenly life. In fact, it's hid in heaven with Christ. And now you need to put off the old ways of sin and evil. And then verse 10 says, you have to put on positively the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And now what I'm saying is that you can take this verse in chapter 3, verse 10, connect it with the text in chapter 1, verse 12, and you can say that the apostle is saying, This is the way it was. You were disqualified. Not having the image of God. You were not suitable. You were not rendered fit for heaven. But now, and we're going to come to that in the second point, through Jesus Christ, this is the idea. You have the image of God again and you are rendered fit for heaven. And Colossians 3 verse 10, which we just read a moment ago, tells us that the image of God includes the true knowledge of God. But then if we turn to Ephesians 4 verse 24, and those who were paying attention in Essentials class, remember that text too. If you want to know what the image of God is in man, you go to Colossians 3 verse 10, and you see that the knowledge of God is part of the image of God in man. But you go to Ephesians 4, verse 24, you see that this also includes righteousness and holiness. And so when we say, what does this mean that we are told by God we're fit for heaven? Let's start with that righteousness. Heaven, in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, is described as the place where 
righteousness dwells. There cannot be any sin or unrighteousness in heaven. And you know the reason why. Because heaven is the dwelling place of God. And He is the holy God. He is the righteous God. He cannot even for a moment really look on unrighteousness without reacting in holy anger towards that unrighteousness. Therefore, anyone who is left in unrighteousness is simply disqualified, unfit to be in heaven. You and I are now told you're fit for heaven. That has to mean that God is saying to the believers then, but to you tonight as well, you are righteous. I see you as having a perfect righteousness so that instead of being unrighteous and therefore being worthy of me telling you you may not be in heaven, I see you as righteous and I'm telling you you may be in heaven. Secondly, the image of God consists in holiness. And Hebrews 12 verse 4 tells us about the importance of that for heaven. No man, or without holiness, no man can see God. Heaven is the place where God dwells with His people and His people live with Him. And that's an important thing that we have to remember. The covenant is not simply this, a one-way street where God is living with us, saying, I am your God, and I am your friend, and I am going to do things to bless you. I'm going to do things that are good for you. But the covenant is a relationship, yes, where God is first, He initiates everything. He is sovereign. But it's a relationship where God says, and now you're going to live as my people. And you are going to show love for me. You're going to do things that express that you are my friends. Those who live in unholiness, by definition, are not devoted to God. They're devoted to sin, to evil, living in rebellion against God. And you understand that simply can't happen in heaven. No one who is left in unholiness can go into heaven, enjoy the life of heaven, and fellowship with God. God is saying to the believers in Colossae and to you and me tonight, now this is what I have done in Jesus Christ. I have worked in you by my Spirit the reality of holiness. Now, Part of the wonder of this text is that when we look at our holiness right now, it is only, not just a beginning, but a very small beginning, isn't it? And we might think that because this is a small beginning of holiness, God, instead of coming to us and saying, you are meat for the inheritance in light, would come and say, your holiness hasn't gotten very far You are disqualified. You are still a sinner and may not come to heaven. But God, knowing that Christ has given to you and me the gift of holiness, and knowing that that holiness is going to be made perfect, says, you 
are qualified. You have been rendered fit for righteousness and to live with me in holiness. And you and I, being restored to the image of God, have the beautiful gift of knowledge. The importance of knowledge for life in heaven is seen in John 17, verse 3. Maybe many of you have this memorized. To know God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is to have eternal life. Certainly, you don't belong in heaven if you have a carnal mind. If you have a mind that is filled with sin, or to use the language of Scripture, at enmity with God. To be rendered fit for heaven, you have to have a knowledge of God, a true knowledge of God, a knowledge of love. And you experience that right now through the gift of faith. God has given you the ability to know Him, to know His truth revealed in the Scriptures. God has given you the ability to know, not just intellectually, but to embrace the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ. God has given you the ability to know Him as your God and to be able to live with Him as His people and image bearers. And so, this is what the Apostle is saying is the identity of the Christians in Colossae. This, people of God, is who you are. In other words, no, you are not fit for hell. You see that that's the implication of what the Apostle is saying to the church here, to you and me too tonight. You are now suitable for heaven, meaning that even though by nature all you are worthy of, all you're fit for, think about it, with our dead sinful natures and all of our sinful deeds, all we were worthy of was being cast eternally into hell. The apostles saying, no more. That's not who you are. You are not fit for hell. And he's going beyond that. He's even saying, do you understand that you no longer are fit for life in this world? You're going to live here. You have to live here now. That's God's will for your life right now. You have to live here for a while. But when he gets to chapter 3, remember, he's going to say that again, what he's saying here in this text. Because of the image of God that has been restored to you, because of the life of Jesus Christ that's in you, you don't belong to this world anymore. No, the only place that's really suitable for you, believers, is heaven. To be with God in heaven. Now, we don't qualify ourselves, but we are qualified by God. That comes out in the text in three very beautiful ways. First of all, you notice that this is a prayer to God. To whom do we give thanks? To God. We don't look at ourselves and give thanks to ourselves. 
and see in any way that we contribute to this. I am fit for heaven because of what I have done. It's all the work of God. Thanks be to Him. And you notice that too in that language made meet or qualified. The Apostle Paul is stressing that this isn't something that you have done, but this is something that someone else has done for you or that someone else has done to you. You and I do not do anything to say, now I have made myself suitable, fit for heaven. God does that. And then, two, we're going to look at this again in the third point of the text, when we look at the inheritance, but we do notice that that stresses here that we are made meet for the inheritance of the saints in light, that an inheritance is something freely given, not something that we earn. That was true in the Old Testament. The language here that Paul uses speaks of something given by lot. And that doesn't mean this is something given by chance. But in the Old Testament, you may remember that the land of Canaan, which is a picture of heaven, was apportioned to the people of Israel by lot. And that was God's way of saying to the people, I am sovereignly and graciously giving you this land. You're not taking it. This is not something you have earned. This land, this land of Canaan, is given to you as a free gift. My inheritance to you. And we all understand that that's true of inheritances today. We are aware, of course, of children, maybe grandchildren too, who have a sense of entitlement, thinking that they deserve something from mom and dad, deserve something from grandpa and grandma. But that's not true, is it? They didn't earn any of it. They didn't become the possessors of any of the the money or the land or the wealth of their parents by their work, the only ones who have worked for that are the parents. And the children only receive an inheritance as a free gift. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to you and me. You have this free gift that is coming to you from God, and part of the way that it's a free gift is You didn't qualify yourself. He qualified you for the glory of heaven. It means we must be humble and exalt God. And part of our humility is that we must admit tonight that we are not only, well, unqualified, but disqualified for glory. I think you can understand the difference if I put it this way. I'm not qualified to be a banker. I've never trained to be a banker. I'm not saying I couldn't do it. I'm just not qualified. I've never done it. No one's trained me. I wouldn't know what to do if someone put me in a bank and said, here's some work for you to do. I'm unqualified. That's different, isn't it, from a man who has been working in a bank. Whether he has a low position or a high position, and he has become disqualified. He's stolen money. He's cooked the books. 
He has committed crimes for which now he is disqualified. And you see the difference, don't you? If I would walk into a bank today and say, I would like to have a job here, they might consider training me and hiring me. But someone who comes in who has been disqualified for the job, if that's discovered by the bank, they're going to say, no, you are disqualified. You may never have a job here in this bank. Now that's the reality of the situation that we are in spiritually and that ought to humble us. It's not that we are unqualified for heaven, but because of all of our unbelief, because of all of our disobedience, because of all of our sin, we are disqualified for heaven. And now imagine, to use that example of a banker, if a man who has been disqualified has someone come to him and say, You know, you've been forgiven all the wrongs that you committed in the past. Your past is wiped away and you are now reinstated, restored. You may have a high position here again. That's what this text is all about. God coming to unqualified, unworthy sinners and saying, Good news. All that's been dealt with. All of that has been wiped away. You now are qualified for heaven. And part of the glory of this is that this is the triune God who is telling us that He has qualified us. If anyone else came to you and said, I declare you fit for heaven, you'd have reason not to believe them. And you would say to them, who are you to tell me I'm qualified for heaven? The example that I use when I preach this in the faith congregation is that if I would walk into the Meyer store, which is just down the road from our house in Jenison, And the greeter there, there's always a greeter there, the greeter there said to me, take a shopping cart, fill it with as many items in the store as you can fit in it, and it's all yours free, just take it home. I don't think I'd believe him, and I think I'd ask him the question, who who gives you the right to give me all these things, a cart full of things, for free? But if the owner of Meyer, and I don't know who that is. But if I did know who he was, and he was there, and he told me, listen, here's a cart, you can take it, fill it, take it all home free, well, I'd believe him. I'd believe him. And now that's the nature of the text that we have before us. The triune God. We give thanks unto the Father. You understand, that's not just the first person of the Trinity, We give thanks to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has made us meet, who has qualified us. God comes and He says, Yes, I am the one before whom you are guilty by nature. I am the one against whom you have sinned. I am the one 
alone who is able to forgive your sins. I am the one alone who can say to you, here is righteousness that is real righteousness that makes you fit for heaven. You understand God, the triune God, is the one who comes to us in Jesus Christ and says, I have covered all of your sins, all of your debts. They're gone. He's paid for them. And through him, I have imputed to you perfect righteousness. Even the righteousness of God. God says, this is how righteous you are. You are as righteous as me. And you can believe that. You do believe that. It's the word of God. And it's God who comes and says, I've made you holy. And I am the one who guarantees you a perfect holiness that will enable you. Now already you have it. You have fellowship with me and holiness. But I'm going to enable you to live with me in perfect holiness. And you understand the importance of God saying that, don't you? If it was up to me and my feeble efforts to increase in holiness, I'd never be holy enough. God says, I've qualified you. And we believe His Word. And God is the one who reveals Himself to us and gives unto us the knowledge of faith and of salvation so that we we take hold of His Word. We believe. We are certain that we are qualified for heaven. That is what we're talking about here in the third point of the sermon, heaven. I already mentioned that the apostle uses language that speaks of that which is apportioned by lot. That's the inheritance that was given to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And so you have in the Old Testament a picture, the land of Canaan, which Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew was not their eternal home. They lived there in tents, looking for the city which hath foundations, eternal heaven. But that was the picture to them of heaven there in the land of Canaan. Part of what the apostle is saying to you and me, you're going to be a part of the inheritance of all the saints, meaning that all that is God's, that he gives to Jesus Christ, that he gives to the saints, all of that is yours. It's a grand inheritance, not subdivided into small little slivers of heaven. I come from Iowa, where there is farmland that is passed down from generation to generation, and sometimes that inheritance does get diluted, divided in each generation between more people so that the portion of the inheritance becomes smaller and smaller. And it, it, the idea of the text that the apostle wishes to convey is, that's not the way to think of heaven. I'm only going to have a little sliver of heaven. But the idea of the text is, you are a fellow heir with Christ and with all the saints, so that all that God is going to give in the new heavens and the new earth, that's, well, someday something you're going to be able to say is mine. It's mine with all the saints in light. In heaven, God 
is going to be on full display. He's going to reveal himself more fully than he even does now. But here is what the Apostle is holding out before you and me. And you are going to be fit to be able to see it. You're going to be able to behold, to bask in, to enjoy, to embrace the glory of the true God. Now you know well that that doesn't mean that somehow in heaven you're going to see the actual being of God. But you understand that it's Jesus Christ who is God come in human flesh, who in heaven is going to fully reveal the glory of God, that you're going to be able to see Jesus, and in Him, the light and the glory of God Himself. It would be a sad thing to go to heaven where God's glory is shining and not be able to see it. And you understand, beloved, there are many people who are in that condition in the world right now. Those who are unconverted, those who do not have faith, those who do not have the new life of Jesus Christ, even if it were possible, it's not, but if it were possible to bring them to heaven and say, here's the home of God, do you see the glory of God shining? They would see nothing. The apostle is saying, when he says, you have been made fit, rendered, given everything that you need to be in heaven, to live in heaven, to enjoy heaven, you're going to be able to see the full glory of God and enjoy it forever. But we miss the point if we only look to the future tonight and speak of seeing the light and living in the light and fellowship of heaven with God. I say again, the Apostle Paul here in the text is speaking in the present tense. You are now qualified. You're qualified to thank God. You're qualified to grow in spiritual grace and power. You're qualified to grow in sanctification. Grow in forsaking sin and evil. Grow in the doing of good works and living a Christian life. Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice that the Word of God comes to you tonight and says no? you are no longer qualified for hell, then you have to see the application of that to your lives tonight. If you're not qualified for hell, then you are not to live like that's where you're going. Don't walk in darkness. That's what you were qualified before. That's all we could do was walk in darkness. The Apostle comes and says, Now, you are qualified as a saint in light. 
Now live that way. And then do what? Well, as you're living that way, I should say it this way, by living that way, give thanks unto the Father who in Jesus Christ has given you, qualified you for that life. Amen. Father in heaven, as we live in a world of sin and death, spiritual death all around us, also physical death, which some of us have experienced in our families very recently. How we give thee thanks for this word which shines a light upon us and shows us the life of Jesus Christ. The life of Jesus Christ that will be ours in the glory of heaven. The life of Jesus Christ that is already the possession of many saints who have gone before us in the inheritance of heaven. We pray, Father, that it may be the life of Jesus Christ that we already have and live in in this life. Lord, forgive us for all of the times that we doubt who we are and our identity in Christ. Forgive us for all the times we hide that identity by living in darkness. Grant now to us forgiveness of sins and renewed grace that we may go forward living and showing that we have a hope for the future by living in the light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.